to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 361. Today's show is brought to you by Heaven's Made. As part of our Art of Living author interview series, our guest today is award-winning author, journalist, crisis and damage control communications expert and thought leader, Eric Desenhall. I first became aware of Eric Desenhall because of his nationally recognized high-stakes communications firm and his role as damage control media expert. Eric Desenhall is widely respected in communication circles and he is busy making appearances on NPR, CNN, Fox, CNBC, MSNBC, and many other publications and media channels. Someone, I, I can't even remember who, told me Eric Desenhall is a writer. I love to read, so I followed up Googling Eric Desenhall writer. I was blown away by the search results. To say Eric Desenhall is a crisis communications expert and writer puts less emphasis on his writing And boy, is he a writer. This is kind of like saying Steve Ballmer used to work for Microsoft and now he owns a basketball team. Ballmer is an NBA magnate. But back to Eric Desenhall, our guest today. He's the author of 10 books, including three nonfiction texts on crisis communications and corporate witch hunts. Eric is a serious writer and he has a gift for book titling. Some of his books are titled Nalem, Confronting High-Profile Attacks on Celebrities and Businesses, Glass Jaw, A Manifesto for Defending Fragile Reputations in an Age of Instant Scandal. Both, of course, are nonfiction books. But I really came to appreciate Eric Desenhall, the writer, when I started reading Eric's fiction books with titles like Money Wanders, Jackie Disaster, Shakedown Beach, Turnpike Flameout, Spinning Dixie. <laughs> And the fascinating account of the collaboration between the U.S. Navy and organized crime during World War II to secure American ports from Nazi attack titled The Devil Himself. That's a fantastic book, by the way. These books have a hilarious sense of humor, as does the man, Eric Desenhall himself. Most of the books are set in New Jersey, where Eric Desenhall himself grew up, but also Atlantic City specifically and star of Desenhall's books, his alter ego, Jonah Eastman, who in the books is a mobster's grandson gone straight, attending Dartmouth, then a high-level White House communications job in the Reagan administration, and his own crisis management firm, but is inevitably brought back to his darker roots. The Not Old Better Show audience will love these books. Another book you'll enjoy is Eric Desenhall's latest book, Best of Enemies, co-authored with Gus Russo about the extraordinary friendship between a CIA officer and a KGB agent during the Cold War. We'll talk about all this, and Eric Desenhall will answer our questions, or as much as we can get to. (laughs) But please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone award-winning author Eric Desenhall. Eric Desenhall, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me. It is great to speak to you. And I'll tell you, some of my first couple of questions are selfish because I just am such a big fan of your writing. We, of course, want to talk about your new book, Best of Enemies, but I can't start off this conversation with Eric Desenhall without asking you about 
the great Jonah Eastman, Jackie DeSesto, Mickey Price, Bobby Chin. I have to tell you, Mrs. Pinsky and the brown shirts are huge, <laughs> huge favorites in our household. So will we, will we see some of those folks again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, hopefully uh, we will see Jonah, my alter ego, again <laughs> uh-huh. because he, uh, he 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 doesn't go away. He's always with me. He's very much uh, my id, in the sense that he does the things that I I wish I can do, uh, but I can't because I'm restrained by certain uh, ethics and the law. <laughs> uh, but uh, nevertheless. Um, we will, I think we will see him again. I have a few things cooking, but I think, you know, the challenge in, in this day and age is uh, what's happened to the book market. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, uh, it, it's getting harder and harder to get published. But I do think we will uh, be seeing uh, be seeing Jonah again. And in fact, I do have a draft of a novel featuring an 11-year-old Jonah, mm-hmm. but focusing in on his, his uh, hoodlum grandfather, <laughs> Mickey Price, <laughs> Um, but it's, uh, we're pregnant yet, but we don't have a baby. <laughs> well, you grew up in South Jersey and your immediate family, very upstanding people. But to what extent did the Mickey Prices and the, uh, the mob connections enter into your world? Well, um, where I grew up, it was not unusual to have, uh, an ancient family member, a neighbor, somebody who was tied in some way to the rackets. And um, even though most of this went on well before my time, this was, if you grew up where I did, this was, you were swimming in that broth. And Mickey Price is a, is a, a composite character of a few people. And uh, he you know, does represent some of the kind of characters I saw. One of the things that I'm always sensitive about uh, is when you hear the word mob connections, the implication is these are people who are in your life and who you do business with, which is not the case. Um, you know, I was a little kid when, but I do remember some of these characters. And to the extent I have had contact with that world as an adult, it has been exclu- as exclusively as an author and as a writer. And, uh, you know, for example, I did a historical novel called The Devil Himself Mm -hmm. a few years ago about um, Meyer Lansky, whose family I've known for many years. And one of the first things I did when I realized that I had his diaries, uh, Meyer's diaries, is I alerted friends at the FBI because I would never, I never want someone to be able to claim that... I was operating in this world in any capacity other than as an author or uh, a journalist. But um, And what's interesting is I have always found that whether I'm dealing with gangsters or spies, they seem to be very excited to talk to me. Um, you know, and people have said, are you afraid given what you write about? I have a lot more to fear in my day job than I do from gangsters and spies because I'm not really writing anything against their will. I have to tell you again, uh, Jonah Eastman has has influenced me, and, and you mentioned the devil himself. I remember in the book, Jonah and Meyer Lansky are out for an early morning walk, and Jonah wants to tell Meyer that he really prefers to spend time with old people and not with people his own age. And I'm 62, and my audience is, we're a bunch of old people, uh, Eric Desenhall, so I really relate to uh, Jonah Eastman and what he has to say to Meyer Lansky. Well, you know, it's funny, um, people have asked me, did that 
conversation happen? And the answer is it would be an obscene exaggeration uh, to say that um, I was somehow, I, Eric, was somehow Meyer Lansky's deathbed father confessor or, or grandson confessor. No such thing ever happened. But some of the information that I used in, um, uh, some of the information that I used in The Devil Himself did come directly from Meyer, although I'm sensitive about saying exactly how it happened. I mean, the, the story of how Meyer helped out in World War II was a story he very much wanted told uh, during his lifetime, but the government kept files uh, secret. They didn't acknowledge that uh, Luciano, Lucky Luciano and Meyer played any role in helping to hunt down Nazi saboteurs during World War II, uh, but they did. And I was able to get the documentation uh, that that occurred um, you know, 40, 40 years or so after World War II, World War II ended. And as it turns out, Meyer did keep a diary. He, uh, he, he did keep notes on, um, on, on what he did. It's a wonderful book. I recommend that, uh, The Devil Himself, as well as uh, all your other books, uh, Eric Desenhall. As the character in Jackie Disaster says, public relations is telling pretty lies, crisis management is telling ugly truths. <laughs> and so you, you have this reference to an acronym in Turnpike uh, Flameout, PAS or Plausible Alternative Scenario. And maybe today we might know that as, as fake news, but I'm getting to kind of this point in your life where you have parallels between your writing and your professional career today, and, and that's as a crisis management expert, the business that you're in. And you're still writing, um, but you're mainly helping clients and corporations diffuse these difficult situations that they that they might get into or maybe rewriting some of the headlines. And I assume that your firm is uh, brought in post headline. So how do you work with clients at that point to do real damage control? Well, you know, when I teach a class, um, which I do from time to time, uh, I've been an adjunct uh, at uh, Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. One of the questions I get from the MBAs is, do people come to you after things blow up or do they they come to you to prepare? The answer is they come when things blow up because that's what that's, I mean, history is calamity driven. I mean, if you were to say to people, somebody might fly planes into the Twin Towers uh, at some point soon, the reaction would be, yeah, sure they sure they will. Uh, that's just what human beings do. So I tend to get involved after the fact, even though I'm far less effective. The biggest challenge we have in my business today is that the only thing people know about crisis management is what they see in the movies and on TV. And, and the crisis manager in TV and movies is always the same man or woman. Uh, they're wearing a $4,000 suit, uh, they are, and they are some cross between a magician and a criminal. They will either have you killed or they will come up with something so clever that it will detract attention from the original sin. In real life, this happens one out of every 10,000 times. Uh, But the challenge is is that we are dealing 
with a force that we don't control, uh, which is digital digital media. And one of the challenges that's happened in the crisis management business is it's bred a generation of people who will lie and say, we have the answer, we have a way to stop this, when in fact we don't. Um, there are ways of handling things better than other ways, but uh, we really don't have control over, uh, over this environment. And I think that there's a tendency to place too much emphasis on the actions of protagonists rather than the climate in which they're taking place. I mean, I don't believe, for example, Donald Trump won because of some diabolically brilliant strategy. I think he won largely because he came along at a moment where his antics really resonated. And so, you know, a lot of when I am successful for a client is when there is a plausitive alternative scenario to, uh, to what's being alleged. Now, in my novels, I can create that out of whole cloth. And one of the things about being a fiction writer is whatever you do can work in fiction. In, in real life, not everything works. Hi, this is Paul. We'll be right back with award-winning author Eric Desenhall. You know, I've spoken about my parents in a number of podcasts, and many of you in our smart, attentive, sharp audience have reached out to me following those shows, expressing your own family memories. My mom, of course, nearly 90, is still going strong, but my father, Roger, passed away in October of 2017. My mom still lives in our family home, and my dad is buried close by in a lovely cemetery. The cemetery is well-maintained, and it gets perpetual care, gardening, and landscaping. But visiting my dad's gravesite is hard for my mom, although she's very mobile. It's just hard to traipse through the graves, the lawn, and the regular funerals always ongoing. Of course, I live on the opposite coast in Virginia, so it's really hard for me to get into my dad's California grave. Both my mom and I, plus my two sisters, who also live out of state and away from where my mom lives, believe my father's resting place should be treated with great care and respect. If you, dear Not Old Better Show audience, have a loved one interred in a cemetery that doesn't insist on individual gravesite maintenance, even neglectful custodial care, our sponsor today, Heaven's Made, will provide your loved one's memorial with exceptional care. Unable to travel to the cemetery, live in a different state like me, have mobility concerns like my mom? Are you short on time? Heaven's Made helps you locate your loved one, schedule a cleaning and a floral delivery, and provides a confirmation photo once services are completed straight to your email. Heaven's Made takes care of it all. Cleaning the stone with an environmentally safe cleaner that gently restores without damage, edging and cleaning the overgrowth of grass and weeds, and delivery of silk or fresh flowers for any occasion. Sometimes, despite best efforts, you just can't make it out to clean the memorial stone or deliver flowers for your loved one. Don't sweat this. Stop worrying and choose Heaven's Made to provide their memorial with exceptional care. Show you care no matter how far away you may be. Heaven's Made is a service dedicated to helping you care and tend to your loved one's final resting place. Check out Heaven's Made at heavensmade.com. We'll have links in the notes. 
And now back to award-winning author Eric Desenhall and our Art of Living author interview series. We are with Eric Desenhall, crisis management expert and author of the new book, Best of Enemies, The Last Great Spy Story of the Cold War, written with your co-author Gus Russo. Another excellent book from Eric Desenhall. This isn't a historic fiction, but this is a true story of, uh, true story. yeah, of, of friendship. And these two were, they were a little oddly matched. So maybe tell us about, about them and the complex friendship that they had and who they are. Well, Best of Enemies, which I wrote with Gus Russo, who is a great, serious investigative journalist who's done great work on organized crime and, and conspiracies and, and other things. This is the story of CIA officer Jack Platt and KGB agent Gennady Vasilenko. They were, they were assigned in the late 70s with getting each other to turn to get the other one to betray their country. They did not succeed in doing that. They became best friends. And through a series of schemes and accidents, they ended up taking down the worst spy in American history, Robert Hansen of the FBI. That is the USA Today version of Best of Enemies, how these two unlikely characters became friends and got uh, caught up in very lethal activities. Gennady was imprisoned in Russia twice because of his friendship with Jack. Uh, at one time, he spent more than five years uh, being tortured in, in what is you know, the latter-day version of the Soviet gulag system. Uh, but the Soviets are gone, but the system uh, is still loosely there. And he was imprisoned because the Russians believed that he actively conspired with Jack to expose Robert Hansen, who was their best spy. The fact is, is Gennady did play a role in that takedown, but he did so unwittingly. He did not realize uh, the role that he was that he was playing. Fascinating. It very suspenseful book too. I, I loved it. I thought the details were amazing. You know, finding this mole and Robert Hansen, and then Robert De Niro plays a role in this whole story. Tell tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, Robert De Niro brought all the parties together. He was very friendly with Jack and Gennady, who consulted with him on a film he did about the origins of the CIA called The Good Shepherd. In fact, Gennady was supposed to play the Soviet spy master uh, called Ulysses. However, he was imprisoned in 2005 and he never got to play that role. And, but, and interestingly enough, uh, in addition to this friendship, um, Robert De Niro played a role in saving Gennady's life in prison, which we talk about in the book. Um, Gennady was in a series of prisons in Russia, and there was an effort to get him free and to protect him while he was in prison. And one time, uh, he, uh, he ended up falling under the protection of a Russian mobster named Slava because De Niro sent him a holiday card featuring a photograph of the two of them, Gennady and De Niro, together. And Slava saw this and he said, you're you friends with Robert De Niro? <laughs> and Gennady said, yes. And, and Slava said, no one will hurt this man. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, Gennady was protected because 
if you think Americans are impressed with celebrity, well, so are Russian gangsters. <laughs> and so uh, Robert De Niro played a very critical role in bringing the parties together to write this book and a huge role in the lives of Gennady uh, and Jack. Just an excellent book. Again, the title, Best of Enemies, The Last Great Spy Story of the Cold War. We're going to put links up to where you can find uh, the book directly, as well as uh, the other books by Eric Tezenhall. So final question for you, Eric Tezenhall. I know you're, you're very busy. We mentioned uh, Robert De Niro. Of course, uh, Hollywood has taken notice of, of things that you've done. The current book, The Best of Enemies, has been optioned uh, for a movie by Ron Howard's Imagine Entertainment. So when can we expect to see a film version of Best of Enemies? Well, it's been optioned by Imagine Entertainment with Tribeca, which is uh, Robert De Niro's uh, development company. Uh, I have no idea when you'll see a movie. Gus and I, I keep teasing him uh, and asking him if he's picked out the upholstery for his Gulfstream uh, 650. <laughs> and apparently he has not picked out uh, the upholstery for that jet, and neither have I. So we have no idea when this will become a film. Uh, we think it will happen someday. But uh, Hollywood um, moves at the speed of a glacier, you know, given the the Russia investigation, we think that a lot, of, even though this book is certainly not about Trump and the Russia investigation, you know, it does give it a certain resonance. I mean, I certainly developed my own opinions about the Russia investigation, and hopefully uh, the general heightened interest in Russia may bring about a greater likelihood of um, uh, of something happening in film. What an excellent conversation. I really appreciate your time, Eric Hall. Thanks for being so generous with it, and thanks for being such a prolific writer. We're, we're rooting for this movie to come out. Uh, believe me, we, we, are, we are too. I'm looking forward to forgetting my old friends, getting romantically involved with <laughs> Charlize Theron. I, I, I have a lot of ambitions here. <laughs> what a pleasure it is to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks for your sense of humor. You bet. My thanks to Heaven's Maid for sponsoring the show today, and my special thanks to Eric Tessenhall for his time and conversation. Check out the links for Heaven's Maid and Eric Tessenhall's firm, Tessenhall Resources, and his enjoyable books in our show notes. And thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.